<laughs> no, they don't. Definitely do not rage quit. Okay, cool. Uh, oh boy. All right. Uh, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. On deck tonight, we have, as always, the handsome, Wants It Kim. Yay. Hi. Matt, Hop- <laughs> Matt Hopkins. I'm not handsome. You're, <laughs> you're handsome also, Matt. Thank you. Uh, and a familiar face, but it's been a while since we've had you on. Tyler Turner. Hey, boys. Long time no talk. I know. Just on here. Yeah. Just on here, yeah. I Yeah, I still blow up your messenger when I'm bored at work and have nothing <laughs> else to do. I'm like, oh, let's see what Tyler's up to. Well, Matt and I got, got to see each other in person, like, just That's this right. past weekend. Yep. Oh, baby. We're going to talk, talk about that, I think. Yeah, I, I want to hear more so. about that. I mean, yeah, you guys know the deal with the show. Everybody comes to the topic, show, tell, blah, blah, whatever. Yes, I want to hear what Tyler and Matt have to talk about. Is it the same topic or no? Yeah, yeah same topic, yeah. All right, tell me more. Go so, ahead, this weekend shooting, right? Or this past weekend shooting, I guess. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So, me and Tyler just got done shooting the Georgia State sectional match. Mm-hmm. Down in north suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know yep. what the town is called, or basically pretty far north. Riverbend Gun Club, Dawsonville, Georgia. It's like an hour north of the airport. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I actually didn't plan on shooting this match till the Tuesday before the match. So, like, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Matches got like. 380 shooters at it heard from the Dupuy brothers that it's a good Mm -hmm. match and the way they ran it so I'm like cool I'm gonna go shoot this and then like a good thing about it I could take do it like shoot it with no no time off oh so I could like fly in go to the match shoot it and then fly home like all within a Saturday Sunday sounds excellent it was excellent, and I actually, the, the way the timing worked out, I could have flew in Saturday morning, shot Saturday afternoon, and flew back out Saturday night. <laughs> the timing actually worked out. I could have done that. It would have been a little crazy, but it would have worked, and I've never seen a match where you could kind of do that at a state-level, like, 10-stage legit match. Well, I want to hear, I mean, I want to hear more about this, because I saw, Tyler, you posted, you guys... Is it you work half the day and you shoot half the day, or what was the schedule like? It it's a half day format. Um, a lot of guys so, and it ran from Friday through Sunday. Some okay. guys did shoot one of the um, half day relays and worked the others. I actually uh, shot Friday, which was uh, staff full day format, and then worked the following two days, Saturday, Sunday, and so. Each day, Saturday and Sunday, had an a.m. and p.m. relay. Um, there were, I think, ten... Seven, seven shooters per squad, ten yeah, squads. Yeah, ten squads, a relay, seven shooters, uh, a squad. Seven shooters? And, uh, yep. Yeah, and uh, no competitor reset. Uh, yeah. We were turning, on, on our stage, we were turning squads in about 20 minutes, 20-minute 20 turnover. And uh, Whoa. finished, yeah. So we we blew through each relay in four hours or less, probably Dude, closer uh, to yeah. three and a half. I shot Sunday morning, and they were done. We were done shooting by eleven thirty. 
So first shot fired at 7.30, done shooting by 11.30. Holy crap. Yeah. So this is something that it, it's been several years since Riverbend Gun Club has hosted the state match. Mm-hmm. Um, they had it in 2015 and 2016, did the half-day format um, those years. And um, we wanted to, I, I know the, the match director and the, the central staff wanted to return to that format because competitors really like it. Um, it works really well as long as you have the staff members to accommodate it um, so that uh, competitors don't have to reset. And, um, and I, I think it, it, it went really well. Um, I know it's I, so. Is is there any half day format? And, and I know, Wanzik, you're on West Coast. Uh, Joel and uh, Matt, you guys are kind of Central Midwest. It, Middle of is nowhere. Half, yeah. Is is half day format a thing? Um, there is a thing, Southeast? but yeah, there is a thing here. But there's no work. Like you just show up half day, and the next day you shoot another half day. But you paste your own. Yeah. So okay. there is half days, but it's a two day half day format. So you gotcha. shoot half day one day, half day the other day. Yes. Okay. Or, or, like, or like like nationals where it's like, like yeah. AM, PM, AM kind of a deal. Yeah. And it's like three quarters and a quarter, something like that. There's never like a half day, like four hour shoot the entire match gotcha. that I've seen anywhere else. Okay. That's yeah, one of the I, biggest things that intrigued me about the match, like how this would run and how they would make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, let me I, tell you, it worked surprisingly well. <laughs> like it looked, it worked really well. It's funny so, you say that because I, I overheard uh, one morning. I overheard some of the competitors saying, kind of like uh, 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 they were doubting whether or not it could be done. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to turn over. 10 squats in four hours or 10 stages, four hours. (laughs) It was, I'll get into how it like ran on the squads and stuff, but it was actually really good. Uh, So I'm really interested, you know, to hear it it from competitor standpoint, especially you Matt, because, you know, you've shot a lot of matches and a lot of places. And I'm just curious to know your thoughts. And I know that the match staff at, at Riverbend, um, they're really keen on feedback. They they're they actually listen um, and That's incorporate huge. that stuff. So I know they will find this really valuable. Yeah. So just uh, so they had a, what basically six ROs on each squad each stage. Probably four to six, I think. I think four some had six. four, but four or five. Like five was I think pretty average. A lot right. had six on it. So basically, you have a timer ro a scoring ro and then you have basically a paperwork ro and then you have like three resetters and the big difference was the ro's like and all the workers that were there working knew that that was part of the format so they didn't like get upset that the ro like the squad wasn't resetting or everything like they made it a point to tell every squad that you guys will not reset on this stage like, I did not pick up a paster or a paint or a steel or anything the entire match. It was crazy. Uh, so okay. I guess Kim. the reset was very consistent then. Like, swingers. Oh, yeah. Up exactly. Yep. Person kind of thing. Okay. That's yeah. Awesome. So, like, like, obviously, if you work a stage, you'll, you'll see where, like, the slowdown was. And so you, like, concentrate people towards that or 
Like if one RO can score like twelve targets in a row, like like right as they're scoring, there's no sense to send two people out there. Hmm. Because like as they're scoring, they're scoring all, the whole stage, and like by the time they're done, three quarters of the paper targets are taped already. Like there was some big stages where there was a lot of different targets, a ton of shooting positions, and like <clears throat> we literally didn't back up at all. And, like, there was a squad behind us. Like, they would be coming up as, like, our last shooter was done. So, like, the flow went really good. I think there's a couple stages that were longer than the others, like a 20-second stage next to a 10-second stage. So that was close, but there was really no backup ever. Because worst case, like, if they caught one shooter on it, like, two minutes till they're done, and then they're off. Did you have the normal five-minute walkthrough? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. They gave a four-minute walkthrough on everything. Which was plenty of time. Because you're not tripping over everyone. You're not tripping over everyone. Only seven people. And honestly, being done so early, they didn't start the afternoon flights till 2.30. So there was a two-hour window where no one was shooting on the stages. So you could go out there, walk the stages without another squad on it and look at it and actually get on every stage. So like I'm saying, like I flew in, landed at 6 a.m., Drove to the range and like messed around doing it like slowly, like didn't even got to the range like during lunch, like right when everybody was done and had two hours to walk the stages before the afternoon. So I literally could have shot in the afternoon and be done at 530, went back to the airport, got on a flight at seven (laughs) o'clock and been out of there. That's why I'm saying I could have done it in one day. It would have been nuts, but. I've had experience doing that, so work half day and shoot half day format in Canada. They've been doing it for a while, and over there, it extremely works well, but what they're doing, although, is one, two, three stage system, right? So three small stage, two medium, one large. How was the stages like over there? Any memory stuff or average round count kind of thing, small, medium courses? So, Matt, we we talked about this there um there at lunch and uh i think we both kind of shared the same opinion yeah that's so, uh yeah go ahead if i sum it up in one sentence it would be all the stages were set up and designed to turn a squad over of seven shooters in 15 minutes hmm. so like what just to explain a little bit. Like the stages didn't have super difficult targets. There was not a single no shoot except to cover a swinger. I think no, maybe not even that. Like I didn't see any no shoots on there. The bays aren't super wide. They're not super deep. So the longest shot was probably a twenty yard mini popper, maybe. Yeah. Maybe a couple of those in there. They had some decently distance targets. Maybe like max, I think would be twenty yard shot. A lot of double stack targets where they're like this uh they used all the classic targets i think is what they are no they're metric it's whatever Ipsic they use tar- the iptic targets yeah so they used ipsic targets on everything uh probably average stage round count was 26 mm-hmm. overall so pretty large stages all pretty much made to be average in 15 seconds per stage for a shooter to shoot overall and and as a competitor, that I, sh- I shot the, the match as well. And as a competitor, that's, that's my take, too, um, without knowing any inside baseball about the match and, and how they design it. But, yeah, it, it, what I, the phrase that comes to my mind is low complexity. 
because like Matt says, they are designed, um, they wanted to make sure they had a, plenty of time to turn over these squads and make sure the trains ran on time. Uh, that's my chief complaint with the stages and, and the match overall, for that matter, is that they're a little low complexity for my taste. I, I, I would have liked to have seen um, some more difficult shooting, maybe some more technical elements. But, you know, this is the first year having it back, wanting to make sure that, um, um, I guess, logistically it ran well. That was a considerate, that was a, a, a something done on purpose. But um, it ran, it ran super well. Like, I think they plan to have what every 30 minutes a shoot a school a stage. So, four mm-hmm. minutes for walkthrough, seven times three is what 21, and then you had like a four minute walk, yeah, in between. And so, like, it was set up to ha- turn a stage over every 30 minutes. I think they were getting it a little less than that, but yeah, basically, on average, it was done like that. So, yeah, target difficulty, I would say, was low which made people want to go super fast, which induced issues on it by itself. Yeah. I wasn't immune to that at all. Like, And, and for that reason, um, the stages, because they were low complexity and low shot difficulty for the most part, they tended to be higher hit factor. Mm. Um, it's so I would say it certainly wasn't designed as a hose fest and I would not call the match a hose fest just low complexity that led to higher hit factor stages. But um, I've already made my feelings known to the appropriate people. And I, and I do believe when, and if you shoot this match next year, now that they know they have some, some time to play with, and it's not quite as tight um, as it was imagined, I I think you probably will see um, some more complexity. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the MD sent out a after a, after match survey to get people like what they liked, what they didn't like, what was best, what was worst. Uh, I like that. That means they're open to feedback, and mm-hmm. like as long as they use it, like I think it's awesome. It's the second match this year that's done that. I foresee that actually happening more and more because these matches are going to sell out. And they're going to want to get input and, like, obviously sold out match, obviously raise your rate so you can make more money. Like, it's a good thing for the sport to do this. No, that sounds super interesting. For a guy that wasn't there, to paraphrase, they were really worried about the match flow and it not being a train wreck. So the stages were, made like, less complicated, but the match ran really well. So now that they have the format perfected, they can make tweaks next year. So that, I mean, if I was in their position, I think I'd do the same thing. Because if it was a, a train wreck and everyone was standing around all day, then nobody's going to come back. So that that seems like a logical way to handle it. Yeah, it was awesome. So they had a couple other things. I don't know. I'm sure Tyler recognizes this, but I'll just bring it up. From a notes for other match directors, like this will make your match even better and cause less issues in the few, like during the match. So... Water was obviously provided. They had coolers on that, like, cool. So I didn't have to go buy a bunch of water because I flew mm-hmm. in. So obviously low on what I could take and everything. Really good. The match director planned and bought waterproof targets and waterproof pasters. So, like, they had, they saw, like, a rain cloud come, and they're like, boom, passed out all the waterproof targets for the stages, get a little sprinkle in while shooting. Like, they're like, pause. 
like just stop shooting, replace all the targets with the waterproof targets, staple them up, remove like change all the tape guns out to the waterproof pasters, done. And then they're like, okay, start shooting again. No bags at all. Hmm. Like they yeah. pre-planned and pre-bought waterproof targets, knowing that they could have had a rainstorm and like how bad bags are for competitors. Mm-hmm. Like that is like if I'm gonna run a match. I'm going to pre-plan to buy waterproof targets for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That way I don't have to deal with like bags and like soggy targets or pause in the match to throw bags on stuff like that. Like just pre-plan it. You could build that into your match fee and your budget. I think it makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. Did they use them on Friday, Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. during the and RO it, shoot, it makes... actually it makes it such a huge difference for the competitor for RO because there's, I, I'm not exaggerating. There's nothing about this sport. I hate worse than pasting and screwing around with bag targets. Oh, it's a pain. It is awful. And this was the first time I'd ever like used or or had experience with the, the waterproof targets and uh, they were the DAA waterproof targets and pasters and it, they were fantastic. I was going to ask you, so did anybody have to actually shoot in the rain? Did you actually shoot while it was raining, Tyler? Uh, it rained Friday on and off, and then a, a pretty significant um, cell passed through Sunday afternoon. So we had to pause for about 30 minutes, but that was it. And then after it was gone, it was nice and, and clear. So, right. um, so yeah, so... Some Friday staff had to shoot in the rain and then, you know, just, you know, maybe one or two stages, probably on average, someone had to shoot in the rain on Sunday afternoon. Well, I was just getting out. I don't I haven't talked to anybody that has actual experience with the waterproof targets and patches mm-hmm. Do they, Is there more than one place to source it from? Are they just DAA targets and patches? Do you know what they used? I, you know, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, I know they were, I know the targets themselves were stamped DAA. Um, I assume the, the pasters were too. I, I just don't know enough to comment. Yeah, no worries. No, I think that's the way of the future. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think it makes sense, a, especially if you're building a match, like just build that in your budget. Yeah. I have a quick question for you guys. So this match sounds super efficient. What do you think the right number of stages, the total number of stages at this match? Because 10, I think it went too fast in my personal opinion. What do you think like the good number for this match is for stage? So it is just a state level match. I think it was appropriate. I think if they had made the stages more complex or more technical shooting, it would have been like basically a perfect match at that point. Yeah, so same 10 stages, but more complexity in it. Yeah, I think so. I think 10 was okay. I think, I mean, that's the old question. Like, is this enough for a state match or whatever? Like, adding two stages, would it have changed the match if they kept the same thing? Probably not. If they had changed the complexity and left it at 10, it would have been a better. But if they would add two stages and made it more complex, I don't think they would have been able to get all the shooters through in four hours. No. It would have been a five-hour thing. And you guys are limited on bays there too in that section. So Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that that's another consideration is, you know, there are basically eleven bays um on on the hill where where our 
action shooting occurs. And one was basically um, allocated for a, a sponsor, one of the, the big level sponsors to, to have a demo bay. Um, so you're, you know, we're kind of limited there, kind of capped at 10. Yeah. They like could it. easily. Oh, sorry. They could easily do 11 if they didn't have the demo bay. But, like, if you add another one beyond that, you'd add a ton of transit time between the stages. Either, like, from 10 to 11 or, like, 11 back to 1 if they did that somewhere else. There'd be a ton ton of transit time in there. And that'd have a pretty logistical nightmare figuring that out. Uh, I have one more question. I know we need to move on to the topics. But tell me more about the, like, the half day. So... Do you like? Could you potentially have to work morning and then shoot afternoon, or did you always? Because I mean, shooting while you're fresh is huge, and especially like while you're fresh, you just shoot the morning, and then you could work the afternoon. Which who cares if you're tired? Is did you get to pick when you worked, or did you have to work? Is that optional? How does that part work? No, uh, you know, basically when when MD MD puts out the call for for staff. Um, you know, you can you can say, hey, I, I really want to work Saturday and shoot Sunday or vice versa. Or, yeah, I'm good to work both Saturday and Sunday, so I'll shoot on staff day, something like that. But uh, uh, there's some flexibility there, and they'll work with you. Yeah, oh, I so like I think awesome. the bulk of competitors didn't actually help with the RO and our stage resetting. Do you think, Tyler? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think the vast majority of competitors were just there to shoot yeah. um wow so you weren't yeah. required you aren't required to reset if you don't want to oh no no if you're if you're shooting on any for any given relay except for friday staff day if you're shooting on saturday or sunday you are not going to paste right. well i mean like but you're not i don't have to come back later on and no, 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 no. It's not. It's not like the arrangement that uh, Juanzig was talking about, like Canadian. Ipsic. Oh, okay. It's not okay. like work one, shoot one. No, like it's, you know, you can staff no. as yeah. much as or as little as you want, or not at all. Yeah, there was some. And, there was some. Randy, the MD, he was like, there was some formula. Like if you work two, you got a free match entry. Yeah. But if you work more than that, you could either you could get a free match entry and something else i don't know it was something like that but obviously yeah. yeah a lot of people just showed up shot and left yeah sign me up let's go <laughs> and the g interesting thing i thought like friday competitors had their own ro's and scorekeepers so all they they were literally competitors on friday yeah and That's like right. those ro's and scorekeepers then either like probably shot sunday morning and then helped ro or like shot sunday and then left like that was it that that's like, right uh, that's a good point, and, and it goes to kind of what, what you were talking about earlier, which is I, I really like the format, um, not just because we do it and it's, you know, my home mat, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, I really think it's, it's good for competitive equity, that competitors are they're not involved in that at all. Because I got to tell you, like, we didn't have a, on my stage, we didn't have a single reshoot for unpasted or pre-pasted target. Like, if you're doing this, you get in a rhythm with the same crew. Um, you know, you, you're doing the same targets each time. You know what you're doing. Um, it's just, 
for competitive equity, I think it can't awesome. be beat. Oh, I like it. Uh, and not like, not that there are any cheaters in the sport, <laughs> but you know, keeping competitors <laughs> off the the stage, you know, not a bad thing in my I mind. I think we can all say that a target that we've seen get pasted prematurely had maybe some uh, some uh, look of impropriety on it. <laughs> maybe sometimes. That's, I'm sure that's happened from time to time. <laughs> Joel's super nervous and wants to go on now. Uh, no, I. Even though Ben's not on, he's being disruptive. So, <laughs> Tyler, don't check your phone. Uh, Kim, yes. you have a, you have a topic you want to talk about? Yeah, I have a very happy news for carry optics shooters. So I recently uh, I posted, maybe not posted. I think I've talked about it on, on the podcast that I broke one of the optics I have nine times. But fortunately, it's got have a lifetime warranty, which is a Delta Point Pro from mm -hmm. Google. And so finally, my ninth broken one came back. Uh, before that, one of the shooter actually uh, texted me uh, saying he got his back and the whole circuit board is changed to a different design. Oh. And he said he shot over 13,000 rounds and without any issues on a CO gun, which was a CZ. Um, so the, the one I got too, it's got the new design is just different looking, different system for the battery contact mount, totally different. The one before was the contacting plate was kind of floating around, but it was placed with a tape on the top, almost like a silicone thing. Then now they just built it into the circuit board. So now it's pretty much guaranteed not to move around unless the leg breaks somehow. So, uh, this optic used to break around 7,000 rounds mark, and I'm hearing other people reporting back they have over 10,000 rounds and they're not having any issues with it. So uh, the one I was mainly running was SRO. That's been running really good. The window is pretty big, but the only issue was the glare issue in the sun, double dot issue. But the low port one never had any issues in the glass. So this is something I would run uh, after the nationals i'm gonna test it see how it's gonna last and i think anybody has delta point and maybe sitting in the safe maybe try just sending it to the company and get it fixed or get it new design so that's something i'm, I'm really excited because the pistol optic i haven't found any optic that's perfect especially for competition if it's a very clear window, it's got some issues, reliability, or if it's a super reliable, it's got some glare issue, things like that. So I think if Delta Point lasts with a new circuit board, I think that's a, yeah, that's a really good option to go with for carry optics gun. And I think Delta Point is, had a, has a contract with the military or something. So I can see a lot of the companies now going to, you know, mill it better with it and come up with a better accessories probably that you matt, matt we can't hear you okay so i expand on kim's comment there was the military chose the delta point pro footprint mm -hmm. as the standard for the military pistol optics oh so okay just take that info for what it is, but I bet you'll start seeing a bunch more Delta Point Pro footprint optics from more than loophole to come out. 
because the military is going to buy some pistol-mounted optic at some point, and they're all vying to win that contract. Uh, that's very interesting. That would make things so much easier to standardize on a mount footprint, or at least two. Like, Dude, you have, have no the Trigicon and Leopold and be done with it. I'm if, sure it is a headache. Dude, there's like, <laughs> I think I can, there's eight different footprints off the top of my head. There might yeah. be more. Like, there's some crazy stuff out there. That's cost like, effective, right, Matt? Like, you need to ship a gun with like 15 different plates now. Yeah, we figured out the most cost-effective way to do that was to ship it with none. <laughs> Let the customer buy the one that they want. Yeah. That seems smart. <laughs> oh, Kim, good news. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay, for my topic, I mean, it rolls around every year. I am getting ready to start my off-season. So I'm done with major matches for the year. Uh, and so basically... The, I know. Uh <laughs> Travel, of, I know. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'll basically train with fun stuff until it gets cold. So I don't really have to train super hard for any matches, anything like major other than club matches. So I'll mess around with my carbine some, mess around with the Glock some. I've already got an SRO sitting in my safe. That's what Kim told me to buy. So I just need a, a Glock 34 Gen 5 uh, MOS. Then I can throw that bad boy on there and I'll mess around with that. And... Uh, so basically, I'll still be shooting. I'll still be thinking about shooting. I'll still be going to the range. But I don't really have to train hard for the rest of the year. So it's kind of just having fun, um, which to me, I, I actually enjoy that a lot. Well, like yesterday, I took my carbine and a Glock 17 to the range. I was still shooting, but I just I just had a good time. I didn't have to necessarily accomplish anything. And, and you still get better doing that. And then uh, around here, it'll get too cold where, I mean, last year, I don't know, we had like 10 days in a row where it was like negative 15 or something. So It'll get to the point where I don't want to be outside. I'm not interested. So then like that point during my off season is kind of refocusing on shooting. If I want to read books, podcasts, training group, it's a great time to shift through like or sift through rather so much like videos there that people maybe don't have time to watch. Um, get all my gear straight. So like for my competition stuff for next year, if I need parts, pins, springs, reliability issues, magazines, any of that garbage, it's time to sort that out and get everything working. I've got plenty of downtime, load ammo, and then the next play for me is uh, I pick what date I need to be ready to roll next year by. So whether I'm teaching a class or I have a match, it's like, hey, this date, I have to be tuned up and I need to be ready to roll. So then I probably want two months before that, I probably start training. And so then I that just tells my calendar like that, that lets me know I need to be starting up on this date. And so then until that, until that time frame, I can have fun as long as the weather permits and then, you know, direct my attention towards other direct my, it's still shooting stuff, but it's not, not as intense. It's at my leisure. So. Sounds very similar to my off season too. Uh, off season, I really ramp up the study part. So like yeah. you mentioned, watching uh, videos and stuff, uh, like, especially when I'm reloading too, I actually watch videos or smoking cigar, drink whiskey, <laughs> definitely have. Uh, sometimes I actually download a lot of stuff in the hot season too, shooting season, and then like watch all day long in the winter winter time. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of stuff watched from Joel too. He he made a very nice transition video. So ah, I, I only like watched it. the half of them, but I'm excited Good. to watch. Yeah, I hope you like it. Uh, that'll be dropping soon on Training Group. 
So, but yeah, I agree. It's a good time just to, I, it's fun because I'm always going to be thinking about shooting, but it's just at my leisure where it's like, hey, I'll, I'll shoot my Glock 17 just for something fun to do, or I'm really motivated to load ammo or, you know, whatever. So, you hoarding all those primers over there? Uh, I am, I am feeling stocked up. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. So I'll, I'll shoot as much as I feel like shooting. How's that? Good. Yeah. It's a good spot to be in. Uh, anyway. Well, guys, how do you feel about taking a question? Sounds good. Let's have a question. All right. Uh, can you discuss a standard weekly dry fire practice program and how it transfers to that week's live fire practice? Example, practicing transitions in dry fire for two days and on the third day, uh, live fire transitions, then it'd be it's like the following two days after that, doing movement skills, then going to the range to test that. So is that the correct course? Also, with the shortage of ammunition uh, and reloading supplies, what do you suggest to get more from uh, live fire with basically shooting less ammunition? Good stuff. Who wants to go first? Tyler, you want to talk about training? Live fire to dry fire? Yeah, no. Uh, what this guy's saying, I mean, it sounds like a pretty sensible plan. You know, you have a synergistic effect, you know, with your live fire and your dry fire. You're driving the same uh, training goals, the same objectives, uh, whatever the, you know, play with the numbers. Whatever makes sense for you and your schedule and your range availability, ammo situation, I know is going to get tight for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to be, you know, really um messing with their live to dry ratio um and i think this thing's going to last for a long time uh so a lot of people are going to be in, in that boat maybe even me at some point but uh yeah i think that's sensible uh make your live and dry fire work together um uh yeah what what else is there to say like that it sounds smart to me yeah, well, I like to I kind of ram it down people's throat with like dry firing on the range. So this is a good time. Yeah. If you haven't taken that on board, this is a good time to take it like to give it a try. So like doing target transitions when the gun's going off and like, oh, this is one of the things I talk about in the video that's uh, posted on training group. But the gun's going off in front of your face. You got to hang on to it. You've got to clean it. You got ammo to load all this other crap. Like you could just practice looking at a precise spot, bringing the gun to that spot, move your eyes again, then move the sights. And you could work on doing that, you know, a few runs on the range, load the gun, go hot, shoot it a few times, then do it dry again. Or if you're doing like position entry and exit, running hard, having the gun up, aiming at the target through the wall, like you don't really need to fire ammunition to do that. So uh, I, I have never been a fan of, I mean, regardless of finances or by like my season, so to speak, in shooting, I don't take a bucket of ammo to the range and just load mags and go crazy and think I'll figure it out at some point. That's kind of never been me. So I think if you are that person that, you know, like goes the range with a thousand rounds and I'll just like load mags and I'll figure it out at some point, it's a really good time to start thinking about what you're actually doing. Are you actually learning from the ammunition you're firing and then being smarter about paying attention to what's going on as it's happening and kind of analyzing what you're seeing. What do you think, Kim? So for, for me, I have, two different style uh, when it comes to doing dry fire, live fire. So first one is inductive method and second one is deductive method. So basically uh, I do both. 
uh, one could be like this person mentions work on dry, uh, dry fire um, you're doing multiple transitions and you verify that in live fire uh, testing what you practice in dry fire and it could be definitely the other way around for example I for especially shooting fundamentals uh, let's say I am working on recoil management then I would do live fire first before I start doing dry fire at all mm -hmm. so I would go to the range, figure out the recoil management stuff, like better grip or different angles of your elbow, stuff like that. Once you have that result and have improvement at the end of the live fire session, I go home and do dry fire based on that. So I'm trying to apply that into multiple different areas. So coming into position, then as I come in, uh, meet the grip back up, then I'm focusing what I learned from the live fire and trying to apply that. The transition is the same way. If I have wide transition or I have maintaining the good grip in between the transition kind of thing. So I, I definitely do both. I'm utilizing uh, in a two different methods. But what determines if live fire comes first or live fire comes later is what I'm actually focusing the skill sets. Uh, definitely there's a skill set uh, or technique that you, you can only develop in live fire. So, mm -hmm. for example, calling your shot could be one thing or definitely the recoil part. Uh, definitely you can experiment grip pressure, grip positioning, everything in dry fire, of course. But the actual recoil and returning the muzzle back down to the original spot kind of thing has to be worked on in live fire. Uh, I mean, there is like a cool fire trainer kind of thing, but I don't think that's a realistic to your certain gun. So there's definitely two different areas. So choose each, either inductive method or deductive method, depends on what you're trying to work on. Kim, that's smart. Uh, what about, you like the schedule also of a couple of days dry and then going to the range to test that live? Would you agree that, with that? Yes, but that should change a little bit. It depends on the uh, season. So if it's a hot shooting season versus off season, uh, in hot season, uh, you should break it into like at least two parts and work on overall skills, so maintenance basically. And then second part, just hammer down on one skill set so you're not neglecting uh, overall performance. But in the wintertime, I would definitely like to do like I have, actually I have each year different goals. So 17 was all about recoil, uh, 18 was all about transition, 19 was all about uh, movement stuff. So each year I have a set goal and in the off season is where I go like 95% hammering down on one certain skill sets. Kim, I was hoping you'd say something really smart and guess what? Mm -hmm. You did not disappoint. Thank you. As always. <laughs> uh, Matt, anything to add or thoughts? Not off that. <laughs> I should have put Kim up last. Kim always knocks it out of the park. Yeah, Professor Kim. Yes, sir. Uh, how do you guys feel about one more question? It's a quick one. And Matt, we can kick this one to you first, if you want to. As long as it's a gear question. It is, actually, kind of. <laughs> Tell you what recoil spring. What recoil spring, yeah. <laughs> how often yeah. do I change my recoil spring? Uh, okay. I'm about to move to an apartment where having a gun isn't allowed. And if I did have one, there's a decent chance it might get stolen. The gun will be kept in another location where it's legal and secure. My question is this. How can I keep... Up dry fire practice every day without my actual competition gun. I've looked at airsoft and cert guns, but they don't have the weight, sights, or trigger feel. 
Is it worth practicing with a gun that isn't my actual competition gun? Why is this guy living where he's living? <laughs> I'm a little bit worried if there's a chance this to place is going to get broken into. Have it on him at all times. That's what it uh, sounds like. I'm a little bit worried about yeah. Having so it I would say serious answer. Look into a metal airsoft gun. They actually have guns that replicate the exact weight and feel of your regular gun. Uh, for dry fire, they're more expensive than a plastic one, but if you can't have the real thing, I think that would be the next best. And then maybe reevaluate where you're living, unless it's like for free or there was other factors here that he didn't list. But like knowing that it's going to get stolen and the apartment banning it, like uh, not not a not a great situation, I wouldn't think. No. Uh, doesn't CZ make a lot of like? They make pellet guns, and they make... So, like, if you have a, a popular gun, I think... Don't they make other guns that are, look a lot like a Shadow 2? I mean, depending on what his gun is, but... Yeah, so they don't make the Airsoft version, but there's a company, ASG, that does make a metal Airsoft Shadow 2 and SP-01 Shadow, so maybe switch your guns. Yeah, to a CZ or maybe a Glock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh... Tyler or Kim, anything else to add? Thoughts? I have two things to say. One is, free men don't ask permission. <laughs> two is, stay strapped or get clapped. <laughs> well. well. I want to share an experience, uh, what I do when I go to Korea. Because Korea, there's no real handgun. Uh-huh. So, uh, like, even in the airport, I would continuously do things that help me that you can do without a gun. So one thing is one thing I do a lot is hand wrist separation exercise. I think if you're on training group, I think you will know what I'm talking about. It's basically an exercise to uh, learn how to maintain my firing hand relaxed uh, while maintaining the wrist lock. It, it requires two different muscles. Like grip is basically finger muscle, palm muscle, things like that. Wrist locking is forearm muscles. So I'm trying to train my body to gain control individual muscles. So when I actually shoot, firing hand is staying relaxed. However, my wrist is locked pretty solid. So I do that exercise to keep that familiarized, always to have that on demand. And another one is I do a lot of visual exercise too. Like I would just pick a couple spots. It doesn't have to be a target. Like I do this a lot on a, uh, actually a red light on a signal while I'm driving. I would pick a couple spots like back mirror of my next car, things like that. And I would specifically look to a certain spot very, very clearly as fast as possible. So I'm training uh, both my eyeballs or the head moving to spot spot very fast, as fast as humanly possible. And second one is a focal depth change. So I'm seeing the object as fast, uh, as clear as possible. So those things deteriorate pretty fast. I experienced when I take a day off, uh, not, not a day, maybe a couple weeks off, I experienced my visual speed getting pretty slow or forgetting or tensing up the firing hand all the whole arm kind of thing so i do that when i especially when i go to korea or whenever i'm in the airport things like that doesn't require any gun yep i like it well guys i think this was a bang up podcast tyler i'm so glad you came on really i need was. to have you on more often by the way i know i know it's been too long i agree all right uh well listeners if you have a question you would like to answer too Go to my website, 
bensteger.com. Send me your question. We'd love to hear from you.